0: Welcome to the Athens First UMC Sermons Podcast. I'm Sarah Lawing, Director of Online Productions. We hope you'll enjoy this weekly resource. I am glad and I'm grateful that you have chosen to worship together this day. It is a pleasure and a blessing in my own life. I hope this has been a meaningful time for you as we have been thinking together and reflecting together and considering together. Let us continue that as we turn our attention to the scripture lesson which can be found in the Gospel of Matthew the 16th verse the 16th chapter excuse me beginning with the 21st verse and continuing through verse 27. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to Me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the glory, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Let us pray together. Gracious God, this day. As we give consideration to what it means to be a disciple, uh, grant that we may have an open mind and an open heart, that you might shape us and mold us into the disciples that you are calling us to become. Amen. I believe a disciple is an apprentice to the faith. Um, I think we probably have all been apprentices at some time or another, maybe in a formal way, maybe in a... A more informal way. But we have all uh, been tutored, been guided, been directed by people who had more knowledge and more experience, who knew more than we did. And so, in that sense, we have apprenticed with them. They have poured themselves into us. I can remember when I graduated from seminary and I was sent by the United Methodist Church to a church in Grovetown. Georgia. My district superintendent was a man named Charles Hoover. Uh, He was the person to whom I was accountable for the most part. And Charles began to pour himself into me. He offered uh, to help me, to support me. Uh, He offered to encourage me, and he did. And so for three years, Charles helped me I asked him a thousand questions. I listened intently when he would give me answers. I watched how he did his job. I watched how he served. I watched how he related to people. And I learned from him. After those three years, I went to serve as his associate pastor at a large membership church. And again, he poured into me. So for the first six years of my ministry, I had someone. I was his apprentice in my mind. The disciples are sitting at the feet of Jesus. They've been walking with him and talking with him and eating with him and drinking with him and and basically living with him. They are his apprentices. He is their rabbi. That's what Charles Hoover in essence was for me. And we need those people in our lives. When I went to Grovetown, I was so intimidated by the prospects of being a pastor, and Charles Hoover and the love of that congregation really ushered me into ministry and helped to establish me and to provide a foundation not only for my life, but for my service in the United Methodist Church. I will always be indebted. I talked to Charles a few days ago, and he continues to offer himself to me, to pour his life into me, and I trust him uh, with everything in my life. He's a wise, good, and kind man. We need those people in our lives. Uh, We need to be apprentices. No one starts at the very top. No one starts as a finished product we all receive tutelage through the years. We all receive encouragement through the years. Howard Hendricks once said, everybody needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. A Paul to mentor them. A Paul to... To have someone who offers their wisdom, who pours their life into them. We need those people. Charles Hoover uh, is my Paul even to this day. And we also need a Barnabas. A Barnabas is someone who supports us and encourages us, but they're not all that impressed with us, so they keep us grounded and they hold us accountable. And then we all need a Timothy. What we have received, we need to pass along to others. And so we pour ourselves into others. We recognize the value of that in our own lives, and so we are willing to to offer that value uh, to someone else. The disciples were apprentices of Jesus. He poured Himself into them. He taught them. He guided them. They learned from Him. They asked Him a multitude of questions and he responded uh, to those questions. Being an apprentice is somewhat like learning a foreign language. We, we begin to learn words and we try to grow that vocabulary but at the same time uh, we're trying to construct sentences. We're learning grammar. We're trying to conjugate verbs and it's a slow process. And we have to think uh, hard about what we're doing as we put these words together, as these verbs are conjugated into whatever tenses they belong. And, and, and it's hard. It's not easy. We're not fluent. We're not anywhere close to being fluent because we're just getting started. But over time, as we expand that vocabulary and as we speak that language and as we grow into speaking words, into speaking sentences, into speaking paragraphs, over time as we labor and labor and labor, we become fluent at that language. But we don't start as a fluent speaker of a foreign language. We start as a novice. We start as someone who's just trying to learn. That's the way it is in our lives. That's the way it goes. It's a, it's a growing process. And our relationship with God, and our journey as a follower of Jesus Christ, is an ever-growing experience. It is always unfinished. It is always moving into another place, another time. We are always learning of Him. People have asked me before, What book of the Bible would you recommend for me? I'm just getting started and I'd like to know. And I always say the same thing. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. These are the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. Study Him. Look at how He interacts with people. Watch Him carefully and closely. Focus on Him and and submerge yourself into Him. And over time, you'll find that you begin to know Him. You begin to to behave the way He behaves, because you're becoming more than an apprentice. You're becoming a disciple who is who is growing. At some point in our lives, our skulls begin to grow. And they grow to a place, and then they stop. The skull will grow for a certain period of time to a certain size, and then it will stop. And it will never grow again. It will be the same size skull uh, for the rest of our lives. So skull-like life is is to grow and it is to develop, but it is to stop at some point. So a skull-like life is a life that stops learning and starts grow and stops growing and stops moving forward at some point in our lives. And that's the story of the skull. The lobster, on the other hand, grows and grows and grows. The lobster will shed its shell 25 times in the first five years of its life. It will feel the the constriction of the shell. It will feel as if I cannot grow, I cannot evolve, I cannot develop, I cannot learn, I cannot be more than I am right now unless I rid myself of this shell and that molting process starts and that lobster rids itself of that shell. And when it does that, it has to find a good hiding place because without that shell, that lobster is at great risk. And so the choice to grow on the part of the lobster is a choice of great risk. And that's typically the truth for us, isn't it? When we really decide we want to grow, When we really decide we want to move forward in our lives, we want to be more like Christ. We want to take on His character and His attributes. That's a dangerous and risky time. Growth is always painful. Growth is always risky. When I look at our skulls and I think they develop, but then they stop, I think that's kind of sad. I mean, we... We look better, I think, because of it, so I'll accept it. But when I consider the life of the lobster who who goes through life shedding that shell and continuing to grow, who doesn't want to be constricted, who's willing to risk in order to, to become more, I think that's the life of the disciple As we live, we take on the character of Christ. As we follow in His steps, behaving like Him, thinking like Him, talking like Him, interacting like Him, it it becomes something we do. It becomes more and more of who we are because we have learned of Him, because we have given ourselves to Him. We're not stuck in old patterns of behavior. We're not restricted at some point in our lives to just being that. Goethe, the great German philosopher, said, Am I 80 so I might think the same things I've always thought? I mean, did I live to be 80 so that I could just keep on thinking what I have always thought and living the way I've always lived? There's always something to live into. There's always more growth that can be experienced. There's always more knowledge that can be learned. And that's what Jesus calls His disciples to do. We take on His character. In a few months the temperature will drop and we will be living in a colder season. And and one of those mornings when we head out of the house to to go to work or to run an errand, we'll realize how chilly it is outside and we'll rush back in and we'll put on a coat or a sweater because we know that whatever we've put on that day is not going to be enough. The Scripture teaches that we... We put on certain clothes each day. We clothe ourselves in compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Those are the clothes that we put on each day. And it's a choice that we make. We decide what we are going to wear. And above all, we Put on love, which binds all things together. Are those the clothes that we are wearing? Because we get to choose what those clothes are every single day. When I was a small boy, my mom would tell me what to wear. She would put it out, and I finally came to the place where I could put it on for myself. And then I got a little bit older. I'm not sure how much, but she allowed me to participate in the selection of those clothes. And I will never forget the day that I headed off to school in a paisley shirt. Boy, I thought that shirt was fabulous. It was a long sleeve button-down paisley shirt. And I matched it in color, at least, with a pair of checked pants. So the colors were similar, but I had paisley with checks like stripes with plaids and those kinds of things. It was a similar similar enough color that I didn't think much about it, and I rushed out to catch the bus, and my mom didn't have a chance to look me over. I went to school, and I went through the first half of the day, and then we all went to the cafeteria for lunch, and after lunch, we had about 15 minutes to stand around and talk outside. And it was a bright, sunny day I'll never forget. And I was standing there with those checkered pants and that paisley shirt. And, and my friends began to say to me, Hey, Hodges, man, did you match that up today? Those checks and those plaids. And suddenly I realized the clothes that I had chosen that day were not particularly attractive. Sometimes I think we worry more about stripes and plaids and paisleys and checks than we do the clothes that the Scripture tells us we are to put on each day. Compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and above all, love. Those are the clothes we choose. We decide to wear each and every day of our lives. Or we decide to put on something else. The choice is ours. But the invitation of Christ is to put on His clothes. To live as He lived. That's what it means to be an apprentice. That's what it means to be a disciple. To take on. The values and the virtues of the one we are following. John Wesley founded the Methodist Church. His is an interesting story, one that most of us can readily identify with. It was a story of great success and a story of great failure. His ministry started off poorly. He had a disastrous ministry in the state of Georgia. And he went back to England and he was down. He was lost. He didn't know what direction to go in. He began to doubt whether God had called him into ministry. He began to doubt that he had the gifts and the graces to be a preacher, to be a minister. And he had a conversation with Peter Bowler. And he said to Bowler, I don't know that I have the faith to preach. And Bowler said to Wesley, preach faith until you have it. And then because you have it, you will preach faith. Is that hypocrisy? To preach something that we don't have? To preach something that that is in low volume in our lives? No, that is not hypocrisy. That is moving forward. That is taking a step in a holy direction that we preach, we proclaim, we live things that are not fully realized in our lives because it moves us closer to that place where they do become indeed who we are. And Wesley became this great preacher who preached faith so convincingly. So compassionately, with such conviction, that people responded. But when he started, he was, he was told to just preach it till you have it, brother. That's enough. We clothe ourselves, we take on the life of Christ, and we seek to embody it in this world. We're representatives of Him. That's what it means to be a disciple. We apprentice under Him all the days of our lives, but that process involves becoming more like Him. It's not always what we think. It's not always what we feel. It's not always what we prefer. But it is what we do. 1968 was a volatile year in our country. The Vietnam War was raging, and it was causing great division among Americans. Martin Luther King, Jr., the great civil rights leader, was assassinated that year, as well as Robert Kennedy the brother of John F. Kennedy. It was a tumultuous time. And about that same time, a local children's show in Pittsburgh went national. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers was communicating a message of faith and hope. In love, in such a difficult time. He might have thought no one would listen, that the show would have no impact on anyone, but he didn't think that. So he moved out of the Pittsburgh market into a national market. He went to a church service and he heard a man sing, Francois Clemens. And a few days later, he contacted Mr. Clemens and he asked him if he would not only come on to the show, but if he would join him on the show and be a regular there. So Mr. Clemens became Officer Clemens, the policeman on the show. The person who protected the neighborhood, the person who was the peacemaker in the neighborhood, the person who made everyone feel safe in the neighborhood. Mr. Clemens was a black man. In 1969, it was not considered to be right to share a swimming pool with another race. And so white people and black people did not swim in the same swimming pools. It just was frowned upon. It was looked upon as something that just wasn't right. Something was just wrong with it. And as that story was unfolding in America amidst civil rights and Vietnam and assassinations of uh, leaders in our country... There was this episode on Mr. Rogers where he had this circle plastic pool. You've seen them. It's the ones we buy for for little ones. And in this episode, uh, he and Mr. Clemens talked about cooling off in a pool on a warm day. So they took off their shoes and they sat by the pool in a chair and they put their feet into that pool. Brown feet and white feet together enjoying the water. And when they had sat for a while, chatted with each other, they decided it was time to get on with their day And Mr. Rogers took a towel and he came over to Officer Clemens and he dried his feet off. A white man drying the feet of a black man in 1969. Years and years passed. And finally, Officer Clemens uh, reached that point where it was time to leave the show and retire. And on that final episode, Mr. Rogers and Officer Clemens put their feet in that pool once again, some 20 years later. And they sat there that day And no one said very much. But at one point, Officer Clemens looked over at Mr. Rogers and he said, years ago when you and I put our feet in this pool, you took a towel and you dried my feet. What were you thinking in that moment? And Mr. Rogers said, I was thinking that it was just another way to say I love you. Francois Clemens was a gay black man who played the part of Officer Clemens on Mr. Rogers. Sometimes it's not what everybody thinks about something or what how everyone feels about something or what people say about something. It's just about what we do. Jesus says at the end of this passage, I will come again, and I will reward you. Not so much for what you thought, or what you felt, or what you preferred, but for what you did while you were here. Friends, let us become more and more and more like the one we worship. Let us become more and more and more like the one we follow. Let us wear the clothes of Christ Let us choose those clothes. Let that be our outfit each and every day of our lives. And as we live into that, and as we live out of that place, I feel sure we're going to do some good. Thank you for joining in this time. May God bless you and may God keep you as you move forward through these next days. Let us surrender ourselves to the One we love, the One we worship. And in so doing, let us be the hands and the feet of Christ in this world. God bless you as you go forth to do just that. Amen. For listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.